This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. We have a theme for the year which is called Legacy of Faith. And um, that's going to continue right the way through. And we've done a whole bunch of stuff on Legacy of Faith. But through the summer, for the next couple of months, we're going to take a slight pause in that, although it's a continuing theme, and we're going to look specifically into the first book of Timothy, a book in the New Testament, and we're going to systematically teach through First Timothy over the next few weeks. Now, what I'm going to talk about this morning kind of leads on anyway from Legacy of Faith, because I'm absolutely convinced that that's what God is, is saying to us as a church right now. But we are going to specifically look into this uh, book of Timothy, and we got the theme of living and leading. Living and leading, it's right there from First Timothy. And in this theme, we're going to see how God is expecting us, looking to us, encouraging us, propelling us, equipping us to live well for Him. And we're going to take a real good look at that and see how we can get our lives in line with how God wants us to live. And because those of you who've heard me before know that I'm principally an encourager, you will know that you're not going to be discouraged or condemned. You're going to be helped and encouraged to be all that you could be in God. So we're going to do that. We're going to look at that living and leading. Now, of course, I don't want anybody in the room to switch off from the second bit, the third word, leading, because... We, can, we need to take a lead, first and foremost, in our own lives. How well are you leading yourself? That's really important. Well, I'm leading myself to be more like Jesus, to be more of what God wants me to be. I'm taking a lead. Now, you might be, at one point, a, a business leader. You might employ a bunch of people. Or you might be, well, I, I'm, I'm a single mom with, with, with children. Well, you are a leader as well in your house. Because we're all called to take a lead, ourselves and then other people. And I think it's, it's good to regularly pause and say, not just how is my progress as a Christian, not just how much am I growing, not just how much am I living well, but how much am I also helping others to live well. Because it's really important, if my life's a distraction, it oughtn't to be. If my life is a stumbling block to others, then it's not their fault, it's mine. So I need to uh, always look at the mirror and uh, just, just hear from what God's saying really and say, right, okay, what do I need to do to line my life back up with what God wants, us, wants me to be? So there's a challenge to live a life that's open to God and open to others. Open to God in the sense of, God, I'm listening to what you say and I'm going to try and live the way you want me to live. And God, I'm listening to what you say. I'm trying to live it out. I'm trying to be an example, but I'm also looking for opportunities where I can take a lead as an encourager, a helper, a spurrer on of other people. So if together we say that we're going to take corporate responsibility as this church, as this community of faith in in East Lancashire to say, right, together we're going to lead each other, we're going to lead forward and help each other be fulfill the potential in God. So it's not just about me, and it ain't just about you, it's about us, and it's about together helping and equipping and empowering each other to do that. So I kind of lay that down as the theme for living and leading, leading, living well, leading myself well, and helping to lead others well 
also. So we're going to read a few verses from uh, the first book of Timothy. That wouldn't be a shock. And we're going to read from uh, verse 1, because that's generally a good place to start at the beginning. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. Ah, it's good, isn't it? Gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God, the Father of Christ, and Christ Jesus our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. Then he gives a warning about people who kind of uh, have weaved their way into the church community in trying to cause confusion and, and, and distraction. He said this, When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. They kind of were were digging into the fact of who's your ancestor and what advantage does that give to you and and just getting themselves all mixed up in all sorts of nonsense. It said, verse 4, don't let them waste their time in endless discussions of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations, and this is key, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose, verse 5, of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spent their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. Here's Here's a tip. Because someone is confident doesn't make them right. You knew that though, didn't you? You knew, you knew that. But we can have a confidence in God, not in ourselves. And so we're speaking out the truth this morning. So here is the writer sending a letter to a young pastor called Timothy in a very difficult situation in a, a multicultural all sorts of things, anything goes, weird, crackerjack place called Ephesus. And that's the context. He's a young guy, he's a young pastor, not, not a whole bunch of experience, and he's seeking to lead a community of faith in, a, in a, at that time, for that part of the world, a huge city called Ephesus. So he's got a challenge in front of him. So we think we have challenges in life, and we all do, of course, and varying degrees and different times at different times of our lives. But he was, this guy, let's understand, he was really in a challenging situation. He's trying to leave, lead a community of faith forward, and at the same time, there are people kind of working against what he's seeking to do. There were people who just wanted to talk about nonsense, to go in distractions, to lead people up blind alleys, rather than concentrating on becoming more uh, knowledge of God, more, better Christian, a, a clear follower of Jesus. So that's the context, and that's the challenge. Now, the first thing the writer does is he blesses Timothy. And I think that's a good principle, that we can go around blessing people. 
don't mean you need to, be, need to kind of take on the persona of a Catholic priest or anything like that, but we can bless people. We can speak words of life to people. That blesses them. We can encourage people. We can say thank you. We can tell them that they're doing a good job. We can encourage. We can say, look, this is tough, but I'm praying for you. We can be a blessing to people. It's a simple thing that any of us can do. You know, and if you're not good at giving compliments, and if you're not good at telling people that you love them and care about them, well, that's no excuse. It's about time you learned. Because we need to speak words of life and encouragement and blessing into people's situations. So in your family, in your home, in your place of work, your place of education, down your street, whatever, you can take a lead of being principal encourager in that situation. You can be the person who always has something positive to say. You can see the, the person that always looks on the bright side of life. Cue for a song, which we're not going to go there. We can be that person. You can be. I can be that person. So the writer to Timothy is blessing him. So it's good to know that we can be a blessing. So we speak words of life over people. We bless people. May God give you grace, mercy, and peace. That's a prayer that no one's ever going to get offended by. They're not. May God give you peace and grace and mercy. I'm praying it over you right now. Come on. May God give you peace and grace and mercy in your life. Whatever you touch, you know, they'll be peaceful in your situation. In turmoil right now, I'm speaking peace over you right now. I'm speaking the grace of God into your life. You've got struggles, you've got challenges, you've maybe messed up. I'm speaking grace into you. I'm speaking the mercy of God into your life right now. Receive the mercy of God. Don't receive what you call is a judgment that's going to come at you like a train. No, come on. Receive the mercy of God this morning. Speaking grace and peace and mercy over this community. So already you've seen something worth hearing. You've been blessed. Seriously, you've been blessed. How did you go in church this morning? I was blessed. Okay, before I go any further, I want, you to, I want a connection. You've been blessed. Wonderful. So anyway, I wasn't planning to say that, but that's okay. So he's the guy writing to Timothy, who was his, the principal encourager in, your li- in his life. He was his mentor and principal encourager. So think about this now. The danger is that we think, well, who's the principal encourager in my life? You're looking at it wrong. You're totally looking at that wrong. Who am I? the principal encourager in their life? Who am I significantly encouraging? Who am I there for? Who am I just cheering that person on even when they mess up? I can do that. We can do that. We can all do that. So, you know, when we begin to live like that, we find that this all comes back into our own laps, that we receive blessing, we receive encouragement, because when we speak words of life into situations, we get it back and some God multiplies. Everything that you give is multiplied. Everything that you sow can grow far bigger than it would if you hold on to it. That's a principle, a scripture principle that runs from Genesis to Revelation, and it totally works. It totally works. If you are a blessing, you will be blessed. So may God give you grace, mercy, and peace. And so here's a guy called Timothy in a challenging environment. And Paul says... Paul, uh, you know, Paul writing here, he's not saying, okay, you know, stick in that challenging situation for a while, and then I'll give you another job. I'll give you an easy job. You can go to this really nice church where they'll light you, and there'll be no hassles. 
do those kind of churches, they, you know. <laughs> no, he says, stay in Ephesus. Possibly not what Timothy wanted to hear. But most of the time, when we're going through a challenge and a difficulty and a testing, the word of the Lord to us is almost always, stay. Stick it out and prove God through the trial. Stick it out and stay in faith and you will come through. So Paul is writing here, he's saying this to him right there. Stay in Ephesus. Hang on in there. Keep going. Don't quit. Give up. Live right and take a lead. Don't allow these distractions. Take a lead and say, look, this is not, going, this is not happening around it, this place. In this house, in this church, we're not going to get distracted. We're not going to go into a cul-de-sac. We're not going to go up a blind alley. We're not going to do that. We're going to stay with the main, keep the main thing the main thing. And, and, he's, and Timothy is encouraged to do that, to keep on going and to keep the main thing the main thing. There are loads of things that can distract us in our lives. People have opinions about certain scriptures and, and, and certain practices and so on. And it's good to get in the Word of God. It's good to study the Word of God. But don't allow yourself to be go, become a principal critic. And don't allow yourself to become an expert on something that doesn't even matter. Stick with the main thing. Stick with the real stuff that actually touches lives and helps people and takes people forward. The writer says, these things don't help people live a life of faith in God. And whatever we do and whatever we say needs to go through the filter and and be able to answer the question, does this actually help people live a life of faith in God? If it doesn't, what am I doing? What am I wasting my time with? So we're going forward with purpose, living and leading well. We need to help ourselves and we need to help others. Key scripture is verse 5 in there, which says, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. So that's what it's all about. That all believers, this community, will be filled with love. We will be known as a loving community. It doesn't sound a bit twee. It's exactly what it's supposed to, supposed to be like. Absolutely filled with love. This is a love-filled community. That is the purpose, he, he says there. The purpose of my instruction that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience, genuine faith. If you're not doing that, being filled with love, and keep on being filled with love, you are missing the point, and you're getting involved in a meaningless distraction. That's clearly what the Word of God says. The goal is very, very clear, that we keep going forward in love, that we love God principally, we love others, people in the community of faith, people not yet Christians. That is what God's calling us to do. That's the stamp of God's presence with us. That's, that's evidence that we are actually a community of Christians, that we love each other and we love, we love God, we love each other, and we love those not yet Christians. Without that, 
We don't fulfill the criteria of being a representation of the kingdom of God on earth. We have to have it. It's that simple. It's that fundamental. It's that basic. And if we get distracted and go into a cul-de-sac, we don't get get anywhere. I live in a cul-de-sac. Now, it's quite nice to live in a cul-de-sac because you don't have loads of cars going past you. So I'm blessed and fortunate to be able to do that. But you know, to get anywhere, you need to get out of the cul-de-sac. You know, once you pass a couple, my house and a couple of other houses, that's as far as you can go. And you know, it can be like that in church if we're not careful. We get ourselves obsessed with a particular issue. We get ourselves obsessed with a particular theme that we forget that these things can become cul-de-sacs. And we need to get out of those cul-de-sacs to make progress and get somewhere. The goal, the purpose, the destination, the current reality is Love, clear, not cul-de-sacs, that all believers be filled with love. That's it. So first of all, we're going to live a life filled with love. That's what this is all about this morning. Jesus said to love God is the greatest commandment. He said the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's quite crystal clear that God wants us to love him and to love others. It's, it's absolutely fundamental, it's basic, but that needs to be where we're putting our energies in, not what we are receiving and what suits us or, or, or we, what kind of pushes our buttons or whatever. No, we need to keep it to loving God and loving people, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And I think there is a fantastic opportunity for the church right now Because of what's happened this week, in many communities there are divisions. There are divisions between uh, different kind of groups, different kind of age groups, and all this kind of stuff. Hey, we're not going to get involved in that. We're going to get involved in bringing peace to our communities. We're going to get involved in bringing harmony where there is discord. We're going to get involved in being positive where there's negativity all over. Whether that's in the press or, or wherever that might be. We are going to be the purveyors of peace and mercy and grace and harmony and blessing in our communities. Let's see this as an opportunity, church, that we can bring unity where there is disunity, where there is discord, we can bring harmony. It is an opportunity. And by the way, nothing's changed because God's still in charge. Jesus is Lord in this kingdom, in this house, in my life. He's Lord. Nobody's changing that. That's never going never gonna to change. Nothing has changed in God's kingdom. So we speak grace and truth. According to, accepting God's love for us leads us to then, it then helps us to begin to love other people. Until you've really received and had that encounter with God and really have an understanding of a knowledge of how much God absolutely loves you unconditionally, overwhelmingly. Until you receive that, I don't believe it's possible to fully love your neighbor as yourself. But when we receive God's love, we respond to that love and we love him and we love others. It's incredible what that can do, what that can achieve. Love for God and love for people is evidence that we are an authentic representation of the kingdom of God. So we're living well, we're loving God, we're loving others. We're leading well, we're leading ourselves, and we're leading others well, not distracted. So how do we do that? Well, it's clear in verse 5, 
he kind of goes on to give us some instruction. He says, of course, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love. And he says, this is where it comes from. It comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. I just want to take a couple of moments to think about those three individual things. Pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine or authentic or real faith. Clear heart. Clear heart, pure conscience, a pure heart, sorry, a clear conscience, genuine faith. That's what I want to look at for a moment. Faith is in Jesus purifies the heart. Nothing else takes away that guilt. God's design for you and for me would, was, always has been, that you and I would have a pure heart. That you and I would, would have something that's real and genuine in our hearts. Free from the stain, free from, 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 the, from the damage of our past mistakes or our, our sin, our, our problems. Free from that just so that we could be pure. Because you can only love people from a pure heart. You need to receive something before you can give something away. And that was always been God's design. If you look through the Old Testament... Uh, King David prayed in Psalm 51 verse 10, he said, create in me a pure heart. That was his prayer. He had seriously messed up. He had done horrendous, terrible things. But he says, God, I'm coming back to you right now, God. I'm sorry for what I'm doing. God, I can't forgive myself, but I need you to forgive me. So would you create in me a clean heart and renew a pure heart and renew a right spirit in me. And in the New Testament, and for us right now, we know that when God comes to live in us, He creates a clean and pure heart in us. He takes away the damage, He takes away the rubbish, and He recreates, He gives us something brand new in our hearts. He takes away the damage, and He replaces it with something brand new, a pure heart. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And genuine love flows from a pure heart. A genuine love from a pure heart is not coming at somebody and loving somebody and doing something for somebody because we have an agenda or because we are looking to receive something in return. No, the purity of love comes from, well, we're going to love you anyway, no matter how you respond. And I think as a, as church, we always have to remember that. You know, when you tell people about how wonderful God is and, and what God's done in your life, you will have all sorts of different responses to that. If you've lived longer than five minutes, you will have experienced some of those responses. But irrespective of that, we just love people equally, no matter who they are, what they've done. We still go out, we're hanging out there with love all the time from a pure heart. So we don't allow things that are said to us, done to us, or whatever, affect our hearts. You know, it says in uh, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all, else, above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Or other, scripture, other translations say, for out of it flows the issues of life. Or, or, so we have to watch over our hearts. So when you've got a pure heart and you're loving people, you've got to understand that we've got to protect this. And we don't protect it by not loving and saying, well, I'm not going to risk it. You know, I'm not going to give my life away to somebody because there's a danger there. If I let them get close, they'll hurt me. 
wake up, that's life, that happens, but I'm going to love them anyway. And so from a purity of my heart, we can love people. From my heart and your heart, we can love people sincerely, genuinely, with real compassion. Michael Nolan said, There are many things in life that will catch your eye, but only a few will catch your heart. Pursue these. Now think about it. Think about it. What's caught your heart? What's caught your heart? Well, over the last three months, my grandson's caught my heart. I confess. And so I'm pursuing him in the sense of I want to be, spend time with him and I want to encourage him and I want to bless him. Yeah, absolutely. And people catch our heart. Absolutely. But first and foremost, what really catches my heart is my Savior. Number one, it's all about Jesus. He's caught my heart. I love him with my heart, with all of my heart, because I understand what he has done for me. Things will catch our eyes, which are distractions, things that seem like a good idea at the time, but pull us away from following God with a pure heart. That's the things that we need to be aware of. And as mature Christians, we need to understand it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be tripped up. Now, if that's you right now, well, don't let that be a condemnatory word. Receive the word and say, well, hang on. Yes, I've, I've done that. I've tripped up. I've been distracted, but I'm coming back to God. God, you've got my heart. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to principally look to you. I'm not going to be distracted. Many things in life will catch your eye, but few things will catch your heart. Pursue these things. A pure heart Number two, a clear conscience. You know, sometimes people, when they're trying to justify themselves for a particular course of action, might say, my conscience is clear. Now, sometimes that's kind of it. well, why did you even have to say that? Because if you've done the right thing, why would you, why would you even have to, have to even say that? St- Stephen Wright, not the guy in the afternoon, but another one said, a clear conscience is usually a sign of a bad memory. And that, that can be the case, the sign of a bad memory. But actually, the Bible teaches us very, very clearly that our conscience is because a clear conscience comes from freedom of guilt, knowing that we're forgiven. 1 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. In other words, I'm not innocent. I've not got the key clear conscience from not ever doing anything wrong, saying anything wrong, thinking anything wrong. That's not where it comes from. It comes from the fact that God judges me, says, you're forgiven. It's okay because I have paid the price. You are forgiven. That's where a clear conscience comes from, knowing that we're free of guilt, knowing that we are forgiven. The judge says the price has been paid in full, so my clear conscience comes from what God has imparted, given to me by faith. That's where it comes from. And then from that, it's down to us, knowing that God's forgiven us, and, and you really can know that God's forgiven you. Just, just pause a moment, and you might be kind of struggling still with this. I've you know, kind of responded to God, and I, I'm a Christian, and I want to follow God, but I've still got this stuff in, in, the, in my history that's kind of still nagging at me. Well, you need to know, you need to receive this again this morning, that you're absolutely, totally forgiven. The Bible says you are. Jesus gave his life so that you could not feel 
in guilt, so you would not have to carry guilt through your life, so you would not have to feel condemned, but that you could be know that you were forgiven. So God's forgiven you. Ask him to help you to forgive yourself. Let it go. Let it go and receive the free gift, the blessing of God in your life. My conscience is clear, not because of what I have done or because I've got a bad memory of what I may have done. No, because God has imparted something to me by faith. A clear conscience. A pure heart, a clear conscience. Number three, genuine faith. Faith is unwavering confidence in God. That doesn't mean that we might not occasionally have our wonders and our doubts and our questions because we are human. Uh, if you're an alien in this morning, you're not liable to tell me anyway. So I just have to assume that we're all human. So because we're human, we make mistakes. So we, we understand that, we accept that, and, and sometimes we, we, we have questions, but unwavering confidence in God is what faith looks like. Genuine faith, sincere faith. It only comes from accepting the gift of God, and then our confidence is continually placed in God. Faith is something that you have to stay in. You need faith to become a Christian. It's a gift of God that we receive that and then we become a Christian. But we have to stay there. And the staying in faith is the test of the challenge that we're going through. So we stay all the time in faith. So what God said will happen. God will deliver. That's the experience of my life that God keeps his promises, but they don't come like that very often. Most of the time we have to stay in faith. We have to stick with faith. Everything that we seek to do as Life Church is a faith project. We don't take on things that are easy to do. We don't take on things that we, we can handle that with a, you know, one arm tied behind my back and my eyes closed. No, we're not interested in stuff like that because we're called to something greater and something higher. And you are in your life called to a life of faith, which is not dull, ordinary, mundane, just kind of getting through, hanging on in there for Jesus. That's not the walk that God has called you to. It absolutely, manifestly is not. A few years ago when we were approached as a church community by, by Chapel Street, the, the uh, charity about starting a, a high school, a, a Christian ethos high school in Burnley, it was a crazy project. The first meeting that I had in my my house, my conservatory at home, is saying, this is a massive project. This is mental. This is ridiculous, right? But through prayer, we believe that this is what God had called us to do. So we went ahead with it against all sorts of opposition because there was a need, a demand in our town for something like that. Because God said we stayed in faith. And now, even we haven't even started our third year with 90 places. We've got 270 people applying to come to our school. Unbelievable. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. The second most popular school in the town by applications. And you know, the, the, the further detail of that is that some, for some of our church community believed in the project of before it, before it got off the ground. And, you know, I've had a bit of a challenge these last few months about getting their child into school. But everyone that's stuck with it and, and gone to, to, to made, made that appeal to stick with it have actually got a place. Isn't that good? That's awesome. 
That's awesome. And it's not the school for every child. Absolutely not. There are other good schools in the town. Don't misunderstand and hear what I'm not saying. But I just believe in faith. It was a massive project, but it's becoming a blessing to the community where God has placed us. You know, it's talking to staff this week at a governor's meeting saying, they were talking to me about what a great job Life Church does in support in that school. What a great job our PACE team, PACE teams and, and, and Pete and Dan and Netta and different ones are going to do in being integrated into that school. That is making a difference in community. That's making a difference in people's lives. You know, comments from the staff saying that we are helping to parent the parents. How good is that? It's just awesome. What an opportunity that is for a little church like this to be able to make such incredible impact in a community. That's what faith does. That's what genuine faith does. You stick with it even though it seems impossible. Just quickly, how, what does faith look like? How can we see that we are growing in faith? How can we know that that's what's happening? Well, I think there's some basic things. I'm just just, just as my times disappear, and I'll just give you a few of these things, which I think if we are genuine people of faith, these things should be evidence in our lives. Number one, we should love spending time with God and God's people. We should value this coming together. Now we're speaking to converted because you're here. But don't let it be an occasional thing. Let's be consistent in our attendance. We value that. What we used to call years ago fellowship, spending time with God and His church. We, we read the Bible. Someone who's a genuine faith reads the Bible and, and does the best to do what it says. That's what faith looks like. When we mess up, we quickly ask for forgiveness. You know, there's clear evidence in our lives, that we love God more than things or people. There's God, that's evidence of faith. We worship the Creator, not the created things. That's evidence of faith. We always try to live a, a life which is right and pure. It's not always easy. It's often the hardest uh, course to go, but we commit it to this. We consistently demonstrate our love for other Christians. You know, it's not an option in, in faith community to occasionally be nice to people. No, we, we, we're going to do that all the time. We're going to bless people. We're going to love people. You know, we, we consistently demonstrate our care for those who are not yet Christians as well. That's what we're called to. That's what genuine faith looks like. You know, we experience victory in our Christian walk. We're not repeating the same mistakes time after time after time. There is victory for those of us. Everyone born of God, 1 John 5, 4 says, overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcome the world, even our faith. That's what genuine faith looks like. Now you might respond to that and say, there's loads of those I'm not doing. Well, make some adjustments and, and, and let's get, get right with God. Because if we really want to get somewhere, we need to make steps to make that progress. If you were to get on an aeroplane in the next uh, few weeks and, you know, the announcement comes over from the pilot and, and uh, he says, um, generally they say, this is what time we're leaving. This is how long it's going to take, you, take us and we'll have you in your destination, wherever that is. But if you just said, well, we're on a journey. We'll see how it goes, right? Not sure where we're going, but, you know, just enjoy the journey. It'll be a complete nonsense. 
Because I'm expecting to be at a place where I bought a ticket to go. So when we look at our lives, yes, we're on a journey, but it's about time some of us got somewhere. It's about time we made some progress. It's about time we actually... So I'm encouraging you. I'm prodding you as well a little bit, perhaps. But I'm encouraging you to say, we're going somewhere. Our life needs to look like we are people of faith. These things have been manifest in our lives time after time after time after time. Message Bible, just to finish, puts, puts that verse 5 a bit like this. The whole point of what we are urging is simply love. Love uncontaminated by self-interest and counterfeit faith. A life open to God. Church living and leading. We have decided in my life personally, collectively as a community, no more cul-de-sacs. No more cul-de-sacs. We're going somewhere. We've got a destination. We've got a journey in faith and what it's going to look like, this community, and we all have corporate responsibility. Because as the writer's sending a letter to Timothy, he's saying to him, Timothy, you need to create this culture. You need to build this community where not only you love people, but collectively we all love each other, really do a great job with loving one another. A life of faith in God. If it doesn't help us live a life of faith in God, jettison it, quit doing it. If what you were doing and speaking into someone's life doesn't help them live a life of faith in God, please, please, for God's sake and for theirs, stop doing it and encourage them to live a life of faith and just keep doing, believing God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience and genuine faith. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.